welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. Turn to First Samuel chapter two. We are uh, we are covering some territory today, so it's important that your eyes are on the text so that we can move through together. Um, we won't have the verses up on the screen, so I invite you. If you need a Bible, there are some right in front of you. I invite you to turn to First Samuel chapter two as we continue our journey through First Samuel. Now, I have twenty verses to cover in a half hour today. I've already done the math. I get 70 seconds per verse. So uh, we're going we're gonna to move. So I've kind of broken up. There's a lot of like scenes or snapshots going on in our text today. So I've broken them up into episodes. Um, so those of you who are like, no Netflix, you're ready. Episode one, episode two. We'll move right through them um, as we go through these different sections of scripture today. And uh, also encourage the, the sheet that you have, kids, will make sense in a little bit. Just hold on to those. Um, and I will explain that in just a little bit of why you're holding that. Um, sheet today. So what often happens when you study uh, narratives in the Old Testament is you get caught up in the individual stories that are taking place. That's a normal thing, okay? But what you need to pay attention to is as we're moving through this, there's big themes that are developing um, in our passage that are going to kind of lay the groundwork for the rest of First Samuel that we're going to be spending a lot of time in over the next year. And so it's important that even though we're reading snapshots of the story of Samuel, and Israel during this time, we're paying attention to the big themes that are taking place. And there's going to be two of those today that I will highlight as we go through this. And so I just want to start with episode one. We just read the verses, um, and it'll be the first few verses here, 11 to 17. And here we have foolishness on display. Today, my message is faithfulness versus foolishness. We are going to see these two on full display, okay? And this first snapshot that we get is foolishness on display, So we just read that, but if you jump to verse, and you're going to see it go back and forth. So verse 11 here, it just begins with, all right, last time we heard Samuel, his mother was dropping him off. We we studied Hannah's prayer. And you saw like the mom just praying over his ministry as she promised and was faithful to God and dropping her son off with Eli to serve in the temple for his, the rest of his life. Pretty, pretty dramatic moment, especially for you moms that would understand that moment. We're going to see Samuel is brought back onto the scene here as a boy who is ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. It's a great picture. He's doing what he was meant to do. He's serving the Lord, and he's serving Eli as he's there. But then we see this foolishness on display in verse 12. It says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Man, one of the worst things you can call someone is worthless. Like if I just came up to you and Mike's sitting here in the front row, and I just one day I just came up to you and said, Mike, you are absolutely worthless. There's not much like really, wor- like, there's not really too many things worth that you can say to someone. It's just to say you are worthless. Why? Because it's, it's holistic. It's like everything you are, you are absolutely 100% worthless. It's not a nice word, but we see here in Scripture that they start with this. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And so you say, well, that's a pretty strong word. Why are we able, why is as, this, as God's word is being written, why is this strong language used right away? And we saw that as we were reading those verses that are very strange, 
Um, Lisa was wearing the, Lisa was reading those um, words in verses 13 to 16, if you're following along. And it's like, it's speaking a different language than you're, we're used to. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with the meat that was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, okay? And he would thrust into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the, and all that the fork brought up for the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. So just to explain real quick what's going on there, because it's very strange for us, um, Old Testament Levitical practice is being put in um, during the worship so during the worship setting for, the, for Israel. So as people were to atone for their sins, they would bring an animal without blemish, and they would offer it to the Lord and say, Lord, this is an atonement for my sin. And then things got even more specific, where the priest then had to take certain parts of the meat, okay, like the filet, okay? The filet went to God to atone for sin because it was sacrificial. And the flank steak, okay, the part that's cheap, that's what I buy at Walmart, okay? Um, the part that I can afford to eat, that was what the priest got, Um, as a portion because they had to eat. And so God broke it up very specifically that the priest, this is how you're supposed to do it. And you can only eat it after it cooks this long, so on, so forth, so on, so forth. So you see that Eli's sons here were doing the opposite of what God anticipated. And they would go forcefully to the person who was there working the, the cooker, you know, and the meat's in there atoning for sin. And they would say, hey, give me that piece of meat. And the person would be like, no, this is an atonement for sin. And he would forcefully, you could see them, it says they would literally forcefully take the best meat for them, and steal it and rob it. And what, what were they really sinning against? They were sinning against God, right? It wasn't a sin against the guy running the pot, you know? It was a, really a sin against God because he said, this is what I command of you. To atone for your sins, you're going to give me the choice meat that I command as a sacrifice for your sins. And so we have foolishness on display. But you know what? Like, and this is important because when we read Scripture, it's so important. Like when, when Scripture calls someone a fool, um, it doesn't do it lightly. Psalm 14.1 says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no what? God. That's a powerful verse. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so you see here, as we are introduced to foolishness or Eli's sons, we see that they were foolish not because they were breaking some of the rules of the tabernacle. It says in the very first verse that they were worthless men because they did not know the Lord. They were part of unbelieving Israel, Okay? And it was simply because they said, you know what? There's no God. I don't believe in God. Therefore, I'm going to do whatever I want. I have no respect for God that God could call them foolish. And so we see this pattern beginning, and it's only going to get worse as we go through this. But we see foolishness on display. And then we're sandwiched again with the bookends of Samuel. He's constantly in the first verse. It says he was serving the Lord. And then in verse 17, it ends with, The sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Foolishness on display. Next, our first next set of verses, which we read as well, in 18 to 21, is faithfulness on display. Verse 18, if you're following along, and I love you, I just want you to focus in on this verse, okay? Kids, if you have your sheet, this is the verse that's on this sheet. And it says, Samuel was ministering before the Lord. A boy clothed with a linen ephod. Everyone say that word, ephod. Ephod. Isn't that a fun word to say? Like, ephod is just a cool word, okay? But an ephod, okay, was a special garment that was worn by one person and one person only, the high priest. The high priest. In Exodus chapter 28, we see as the tabernacle is being set up, that God designed certain 
clothing for the Levitical priest to wear. And he got even more specific when it came to the high priest. And so I wanted to bring this picture today because we can't just skip over this verse. This is a key verse in today's passage. That whole thing is like Samuel was serving the Lord. He was ministering, which just means he was serving the Lord. A boy clothed with linen ephod. So I, I asked Samuel to come back today, all the way back from time, and be dressing in his linen ephod. Hey, that fits you good, man. Uh, so Tice is going to be my uh, Samuel today. And he's going to stand here. And you see, like, so they would obviously wear robes, okay? Everybody can see this? I don't want anybody to miss. All angles looking good, okay? Um, he ha- would have his, his robe that he would wear. And it was often made of fine clothing, especially for the, the high priest. I mean, this thing wasn't like a simple outfit, okay? Um, very designed very uniquely, and everything had a meaning, okay? And then he has the ephod, which would connect and this was the breastplate that represented, it was connected to the ephod, and it had the, the 12 stones, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel, but it, each stone also represented a characteristic of God. And so you say, okay, what's the big deal here? Samuel was wearing a linen ephod. Like I said, only the high priest, or one acting as the high priest, was allowed to wear the ephod. Now let's forget about Eli for a second, whether Samuel was supposed to be wearing it or not. The fact is that Samuel was wearing it. And why? Because he had proven himself as one faithful and obedient to Eli, where he trusted him to wear this, which is a unique thing. So when he would drop, when Hannah would drop Samuel off um, the first time, he was probably four to five years old. As you study ancient text, a a child that was going to go study under the priest was about four to five years old. We don't know the timetable here, but Tyus, you're in fourth grade, right? Doing, having a good year? It. All right, fourth grade, let's, let's pretend that Samuel for this age, he's in his elementary years. We know that. So he's very young, and here he is, okay, faithfully serving the Lord, wearing what the high priest would wear, carrying out the tasks that the high priest asked him to do. I gave you that sheet of paper today. If I could just speak to you children who are in the room today, so many times we read Scripture, and we see these men and women who did amazing things for God, But I want you to know that it starts when you're young and there's this faithfulness that you have to obediently walk before the Lord and then he blesses you. And he does, he says, here, I want you to do this. He gives you greater and greater responsibility. You know, Samuel in this time, Israel was a mess, okay? God was not the focus of that culture. We're gonna see Eli's sons in just a second. We're not living for the Lord. So the fact that Samuel chose to faithfully walk with the Lord, and what did it look like back then? He was respectful to his elders, Eli was his high priest and the one he directly studied under. He faithfully and obediently and respectfully listened to him. He would have been one who was studying scriptures. Uh, he, had, he was training to be a priest. Therefore, he would have to articulate the Old Testament laws by memory as he offered sacrifices. So he stood here able to articulate scripture at a young age. You see, also, he took a stand in the culture that, of that day where You know what? Samuel probably was different than most kids his age because of the role that he had. God had placed him there um, and prepared him to be where he was in the tabernacle serving the Lord, and he faithfully did that. And we see this picture of faithfulness. Are you tired of wearing this thing? Now you're doing good? Okay. I dare you to wear it to school tomorrow. I'll give you 10 bucks. No? Okay. Um, I would be awesome. But here he is faithfully serving the Lord. So you guys that have that, that I gave you an empty ephod this morning. And as you decorate that and design that with the 12 stones yourself, I want you to think, you see the verse on the bottom, Samuel faithfully served the Lord 
wearing a linen ephod. And I want to ask you, like, kids in the room, your personal relationship with Jesus, your ability to love Jesus is not something that you save for when you're an adult. It starts now. You can wear the ephod. Now we don't have all these extra laws. Like Jesus says, as soon as you have a relationship with me, like start loving me and start living me out right now. And he can do amazing things as you learn. Sometimes it feels like I'm just a kid. doesn't matter. Uh-uh-uh. I love a verse in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. Okay, this is a beautiful verse that's tucked in there. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. All that means is the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. And he goes around the whole world seeking to sow strong support Whose heart, for kids whose heart is blameless before him. So he says, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, and he's seeking to show strong support to those whose heart is blameless before him. Beautiful picture of what Samuel was doing. Let's give Tice a hand. Thank you, Samuel. I love that, that picture, though, because we can't skip over the fact that Samuel was faithfully serving the Lord. Then we go to verse 19. And it says, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year. Uh, this right here, we kind of see three examples of faithfulness going on here. And these verses 19 to 21 are probably a comfort to you uh, parents and mothers in the room specifically. Last time we left Hannah, um, she was dropping her, her kid off to go live under the leadership of Eli. Your human response there is real when you're like, I get what she's doing there. And I get that she's being obedient to the Lord, but on the other side, like, uh, like that's a mom dropping off her kid forever to go serve the Lord. Like, there's that human element there that's just like, that doesn't really compute, okay? But we see like that faithfulness on display here, and it's a comfort to know we see Hannah's role here in the life of Samuel, um, at least on an annual basis, when her and the whole family would come down to worship. It's funny, she's doing totally mom things here. It says, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. You can see her just walking in and Samuel's like, oh no, my mom's coming and she's holding up the new outfit. Like, oh man, that, you look terrible. Are you not taking care of yourself? And she gives him the new robe and says, this is what you're supposed to wear. And so it was, it's cool to see and be revisited by the fact that Hannah still had a mom's role in Samuel's life um, as she's making him... Uh, the robe, and she probably did the whole, like, you know, you have dirt on your face thing, but it's a beautiful picture that faithful, the faithfulness of Hannah, and, and moms, if I could just talk to you for a second, Hannah encouraged Samuel, first and foremost, in his spiritual walk. You know, there's a lot of things that you as moms can encourage your kids in, but there's none greater than their walk and their faithfulness and obedience to the Lord, even when it's sacrificial, and I guarantee Hannah had moments when she saw her son that she would try to act happy and excited to see him, but then would turn around and weep because she missed her son. She was a mom. She had that, that caring, nurturing emotion there. But we see her faithfulness as she supported Samuel. She, in her mind, it's very possible that she saw like, the writing on the wall that Samuel potentially could be the next high priest of Israel. Now, we know that he never ended up being the high priest. He was a priest, and he would be other things, a judge, a prophet. But she supported him in the role. And because of her faithfulness, it says that Eli again blessed her. And remember the last time we saw her, she, she had no kids and her womb was closed, and then God gave her Samuel. She's going to have five more siblings for Samuel. It says in those verses that she's going to have three more sons and two daughters. And then it ends again with, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So we see the faithfulness of Hannah. And then last, we just see the faithfulness of God. In verse 21, it says, indeed, the Lord visited Hannah 
Another way to read that is that God poured out his grace on her and gave her more kids because of her obedience. Does anybody know what Hannah means in Hebrew? Grace. Hannah means grace in Hebrew. And what a picture that God's grace was just poured out on Hannah so that she could have kids. Now, would God have still been good if he never gave Hannah children? Yes. See, we often look at the, the positive side and we're like, man, God is good. Why is God good? Because he gave her more kids. No. Absolutely not. God would have been good no matter what, but God chose because of his grace, and sometimes he does that to say, Hannah, because of your faithfulness and crying out to me, I'm going to bless you with a child, and hold up, I'm going to go big. I'm going to give you five more kids because of your obedience to me. Beautiful picture of God's grace. God still would have been good, but sometimes he chooses to lavish grace on us. Have you ever just stopped and examined like, God's grace being poured out on your life? Like, I, I just picture Hannah in that moment walking to the tabernacle, okay? And um, little Elkanah's slapping little uh, someone else in the face. And all her kids are running around like crazy. And she's trying to keep them focused. Hey, we're here to worship. And, you know, it's like the mom in Walmart with four kids hanging out of the cart. And, you know, you just see her, like, trying to keep everything. And I, I know there was those moments. I guarantee there's those moments where she just stopped and be like, man, look at, look at what God's done. Like, maybe she made eye contact with Eli. Remember that first time you came in and thought I was drunk? Um, because I was crying out and I was broken. Now look at what God's done. Kids running around in every which direction. I can't even control them. Beautiful picture. And, and it's so, so many times that we need to do that and just stop and be like, God, look at what you've done. Like, look at the grace that you've poured out in my life. It looks different for every one of us. Sometimes it's not this perfect picture that we had in our, our head. But sometimes we don't even stop and examine the grace that God's poured out. So we have that picture of faithfulness. Samuel's faithful there, Hannah's faithful, God is faithful. And then unfortunately, we have to go, as we get into verse 22, we go back to the other side. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all of Israel, and how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance of the tent meeting, to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all of these people. No, my sons. It is no good report that I hear. The people of the Lord are spreading abroad. Verse 25, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow, both in stature and in favor with the Lord, and also with man. Just picture with me for a second, two paths. Okay, you've always come to that, like, Two paths, I can go left, I can go right. And we see here a separation continues as we explain Eli and his sons and Samuel. The path continues to widen. You see the path of destruction. Okay, it says Eli's sons continue to do things. For the sake of who's in the crowd today, I won't go into detail, but let's just say things got worse, okay? Um, what they were participating in, what they were doing, pagan worship, Canaanite women, right outside the Holy of Holies, things are taking place that should not be taking place. The abuse continues. The destruction continues. And so we see Eli's sons, okay? The foolishness just continues to, to grow. And we also see on the other path, okay, verse 26 gives us the other path that's taking place. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So you see a failure here. And, and this passage, the thing that I wish Scripture did was give us a cookbook for parenting, Okay? Uh, 
you know when you get a cookbook and you're going to make your favorite recipe? The beautiful thing about a cookbook is it gives you exact details and measurements on how to cook whatever you're cooking, right? Some of you are like, I don't cook with a cookbook. I just dump it in a pan and just cook it, right? Um, but others of you who like really have to get it right and want to do it well, okay? Not that you don't do it well if you just dump it in. There's a lot of good things done by that. But for those of you who are like, like that cookbook picture where it's like four ounces of this, you know, two and a half cups of this. I wish that God would give parents that kind of cookbook checklist for parenting. Wouldn't that be nice? Because then like we could be like, all right, this happened today. Let me go to page 32. Ah, duh, I forgot that, okay? I need to do this better. God told me how to do that. But we know that that's not how God has instructed us when it comes to parenting. Scriptures give us big principles, okay, by which then we have to interpret and take with us and, and put into our context, okay? And so we see here, we can't ignore, there's some parenting principles here when it comes to Eli, and they're tough principles. They're really tough to swallow and to understand. So we see here in these verses, they're just interesting verses. They're, you see in Eli's response here um, to his sons, like just the whole response going on here. Eli kind of confronts them in like a really like, hey, First of all, he's the high priest, and he says to these people, hey, I've kind of heard what you guys have been doing in my tabernacle right where I work every day. I hear, I hear what the people are telling me that you're doing. I don't want to read too much into this, but I might give you a glimpse into kind of what Eli's approach was to his boys growing up. Like, hey, guys, I know you do this every day here, but I'm hearing from other people what you're doing. Kind of shows maybe a pattern that he wasn't engaged with what was happening with his boys as they were growing. Now, parents, this is, this is an important thing. Biblically speaking, okay, you are not responsible for the behavior of your children. <sighs> is that nice? Let me say that again. Parents, biblically speaking, you are not responsible for the behavior of your children. I'll just let them do whatever they want then, right? Amen. But, parents, you are responsible for the decisions and choices that allow bad behavior to develop. Mm. Parents, you are responsible for the decisions and choices that allow bad behavior to develop. Um, breaking news, sound effect. Every kid is a sinner. Amen? Yes. Now, certain, if you, if you identify parents, some of your kids are easier than others. Okay? I want you to look down the road right now and point to the... No, I don't do that. Okay? <laughs> like, every kid, okay, there's some kids that are just easier to handle than others. The fact is, though, is that every one of us in this room, whether you're an adult or a kid, was born with a sinful nature. Therefore, we need discipline and instruction. Let me say that again. We need discipline and instruction. Somewhere along the line in these two paths, Eli's sons didn't get all the way out here um, by having very good uh, instruction and discipline. It started back here when they were Samuel's age. And there was a lack of discipline. There was a lack of structure. Now, there's a certain point here, just let me say this, where every child decides about where their relationship with God is going to be. So you can take that burden off yourself. If you're sitting here today and one of your adult children is away from the Lord, that is not your problem. Now, there may be some of the things that you could have done better, but God's grace is bigger than that, okay? There's certain things that you may look back and say, I wish I could have done that differently. If I could go back in time, things would be so much better. Maybe. But this is where God has you. And at, at, at every moment in time, okay, every person makes a decision about their relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And so if you sit here with that burden today and you say, man, I'm useless. Satan loves to do this. I couldn't even parent my own kids right. I mean, look at where they're at. I got nothing to offer. Stop. You're diminishing God's grace in your life. Eli, as, as many flaws as he had, he still had the ability to do this. Watch. Hannah, God's going to give you a child. And she did. Wow. Like, I don't know if any of you guys can do that. Brian, you're going to... Brian, yeah, I can't have a kid. So, like, you're going to have a kid and just be able to speak that, okay? Like, that's amazing. God still used him in amazing ways, even though he had some major flaws where God's grace had to be abundant in those moments. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath or anger. Mothers, too, there. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I just want to look at the order there. Discipline and instruction. I think Paul laid that out on purpose, that so many times we try to instruct our kids in the ways of the Lord, but we've forgotten the discipline component. And you're never going to be able to instruct if there's no discipline, if there's no respect. Because later we're going to see Eli confronts his sons, and what do they do? Goes in one ear, out the other. And there was no, uh, there was no at any point in time, even in these verses here, he kind of confronts them and says, look at what you're doing. But there's no consequences. They're still priests. They're still continuing to sin before the Lord, and he allows them to continue to sin. And so I just want to encourage you, Eli's response is weak there. And I wonder if that was always the case. Listen, uh, discipline is exhausting. Amen? Like, discipline is exhausting, okay? Um, I, now that I'm on the parent side of it, like, sometimes, like, I just, like, look at my parents, and I'm like, how'd they do it? You know, like, that's why they look old. Yeah? <laughs> Okay, all right? It's, discipline is exhausting, okay? And we often, we often um, for whatever reason, like we're just not willing to, give the, to put up the fight, to, to fight another day, to, to put our foot down. And a discipline looks, this is not a, please don't read this as Brian's trying to get preached at me, even though I am, um, because I don't have all the answers to this. I am learning this in the process, but I know there's biblical principles that I need to learn quickly um, when it comes to parenting. And we see that discipline is exhausting, and God will hold us accountable for how we discipline and instruct. Deuteronomy 6, you see that there? That's the instruction side of that. You know, as you sit in your house, as you go by the way, put them as frontlets on your eyes. You see that instruction piece there. So th I just want to stop there because we can't just skip over Eli and some of the parenting flaws that are going on there. And, and we'll talk about it a little bit more as we get through here. But I want to just stop and highlight the two themes so far, okay, that we've hit in here. Theme number one is that God will remove those who fail to seek him in faith and obedience. These are going to be big. We're going to see these all the way through 1 Samuel. Theme number one, God will remove those who fail to seek him in faith and obedience. So he's about to drop the hammer on Eli and his sons, okay? He's going to remove them because of their disobedience, all right? Uh, and then he's going to do it with Saul. Then he's going to do it with David. And he's going to do it all throughout the rest of this book. And it just shows you God's view of sin and those who are unfaithful to him. There's also a second theme. This one's a little more positive for everybody. But theme number one, God will raise up. So he'll, also, he'll, he'll remove, but he's also going to raise up the unlikely person to complete his plan and purpose. Samuel wasn't even really supposed to be on the earth, but God raised him up in a special way to say, you know what, I'm going to give your mom a child and you're going to serve me. Where was David when they were trying to look for the next king? Where was he? Out with the sheep, okay? 
the youngest brother, okay? For all of you who are the youngest sibling, you know you can like, all right, David was out in the fields. No one was, he was the unlikely one, okay? And these are these beautiful themes that we see develop through these stories as we're going to study these, is that God will raise up, okay, the unlikely person, and then he's also going to remove those who are not faithful and obedient to him. So then we have episode four. Doing good. Doing good. You guys with me? All right, 27. Let's read together. Follow along with me. Don't read with me. Just follow along as I read. Verse 27, and there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all those tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to the altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Remember, this is someone speaking to Eli. Verse 30, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with an envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from the altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. This is such a happy passage. Verse 34. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Last verse, and everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. The high priest was a great place of honor, certain tribe, certain like, amount of power that was given to you. And here Eli has this, generation after generation, the priests come out of his lineage, and it's about to stop. But it's going to be a slow stop. He's not just like, this is going to end tomorrow. It's going to be a few more generations are going to experience the wrath of God. And none of them is going to live, there's like a curse put on them, literally. None of them is going to live to old age. So those that are born are going to die early because of the sin of Eli and his sons. Now, we kind of learn here that God confronts Eli. He doesn't confront the sons. So fathers, that's another sign there. Like, man, our, our, our mantle that we wear is huge. Like, we answer some of our sins, that our secret sins that we're still carrying with us, have the ability to affect the next generations. Like, think about that in that way. It's like, wow. And so we see this, this curse that comes upon the house of Eli. Both of his sons are going to die in the same day. No matter how bad they were, it's still losing two sons in the same day. And you see this kind of like, here's the fate of the foolish. Here's the fate of the foolish. And we see here God's view of worship. God takes seriously worship. They, the reason that God confronted them is because they were doing things that they shouldn't do in the tabernacle. 
um, God still takes worship seriously today. Like as we gather here right now, um, there's a preparation that must take place in our lives before we walk in here um, because we're, we're, we're worshiping. Now, the beautiful thing about now is our lives are constant worship. Like God has created us for the purpose of worship and we have the ability to worship him, but God takes seriously our worship before him. We also see uh, God's view of sin, which is not cool to talk about in today's age, but we see that sin, God takes it seriously. Um, it should cause us to mourn. It should cause us to repent. So to, in closing, here's how I want to close this. Uh, everything in Scripture points either forward to the cross or backward to the cross. It actually makes understanding Scripture a lot easier if you read it through that lens. So I always like to use the picture of put on your gospel goggles, okay? Even when you're reading in the Old Testament, it's always a good practice at some point when you're studying the Old Testament to end with putting on your gospel goggles. Nice. I like that. I saw that, Alex. Um, putting on your gospel goggles and say, all right, how does this point forward to Christ? You know, today we've dealt with some like pretty heavy stuff. I mean, really, when you think about this passage, there's just like no fun way to preach it. Like sin was evident. God hated it. And God does what he does with sin. He's still the same God that's doing that. He hates sin. But we see this beautiful, the other side of this is it's, it's so easy to be judgmental. Um, how many of you are judgmental people? Raise your hand. Okay, um, half of you, okay? Let's judge the other people that didn't raise their hands. Okay? Um, all of us at some point are a little judgmental. Some of us are a lot more judgmental than others. Me, okay? Um, part of that is the way I was raised. I'm not making an excuse, okay? But I was raised um, where external mattered, okay? So, um, like, you better put on your happy face um, before you get into church because you don't want to make mom and dad look bad because, like, everything's good. Kids, you are so good. Get out of the car, okay? Like, that's how, like, I, and so I became kind of, like, very skeptical of people, like, dude, there's no way that that person is that happy right now. Like, that is fake smile, you know? And they could really have the joy of the Lord, but I would bring that baggage in with me um, but it's so easy to get judgmental in this story and say, man, Eli, good thing God did something with that guy. Look at those, those two sons. Like, can you imagine what they were doing in the presence of God? Put on the gospel goggles and you see the real truth for today. Um, in this story, without Christ, you and I are the foolish ones. You and I are Eli. You and I are Hophnia and Phineas. I almost said Phineas and Ferb. No, Hophnia and, Hophni and Phineas. We are those sinners. We are evil, okay? In this story, there's no worthless, okay? We are absolutely 100% worthless without the cross. And that's what we see here. And this is what we can take from hope is here in this setup that they had, the priest and the, all those working under the priest were sinners. They knew that. God didn't expect perfection, but he did expect certain things that they were supposed to do in the presence of God. You and I, as we sit here today, Romans 8 becomes so beautiful when it says, but God demonstrated his love for me in that while I was still a what? Sinner. Christ died for me. Man, if I look back and just put myself in that time, what a hopeless case I would be without Christ. Like that, that would be me. God's called me for some reason out of darkness because that's where I am. I'm, I'm right outside the Holy of Holies doing whatever my flesh tells me to do. But by the grace of God, 
for whatever reason, he saved me and his blood covers me so that I, ha- I now have, I don't, I don't come to this road and go foolishness. I, I still want to go there like a lot and I like going this direction sometimes, but I always have to come back in repentance and say, all right, God, I have the opportunity now to be faithful. doesn't matter if you're in kindergarten here, whether you're an adult, we now have the ability because of the cross to live faithful lives, avoiding foolishness because of what God's done. Amen? Like that is a beautiful picture in a dark passage is that we have the hope now of what the cross has done in our lives. Don't get judgmental on these boys, okay? Because that's where you and me are without Christ. Sin is sin. God hates it and there's judgment for it. God was going to, it literally says that he, he, God made up in his mind that he was going to remove Eli's sons. And that's what God does with every sinner. The fool says in their heart that there is no God. It also should uh, spur our evangelistic efforts here to say, man, you're telling me like that, that's just not a cool statement. Like everyone that doesn't believe in God is a fool and is headed to eternal separation from God. Hell, yes. And that's a tough thing to swallow. And that's a tough thing to hear, but it's what this passage points out. So let's leave here today. Okay, remember, there's a lot in this passage, but there's two paths, faithfulness and foolishness. And by the grace of God today, okay, we have the ability to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ because of the cross. And we also got a a good picture, okay, of Samuel, where he's at. Samuel's just continuing to faithfully minister and serve before the Lord. And we're going to continue to see that. And our whole, our whole section that we're labeling us is Samuel, a man who heard from God. If we want to be men and women who hear from God, which I hope that's you, that's me, um, where does it start? Simple obedience. We faithfully serve God day in and day out. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Uh, even the passages that are challenging, God. I know as I read this as a parent, uh, it was heavy. And it was tough to, to really digest just, just the way you responded, God, to Eli and his sons. But we know that that's your holiness coming through, God, that you hate sin. And you, you really do hold us accountable for how we raise up our kids, God. But you also give every one of us a personal responsibility. Um, wide is the path that leads to destruction, God. Um, so many in our culture are headed down that way. So get, today, God, as we, as we finish in worship of singing, Lord, I pray that we would just be so intentional in being thankful for the, the hope that we have because of what you've done on the cross. We now have the opportunity to be faithful and live for you despite our flesh, God. It's an amazing thing that we take from this passage. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in your name. Amen.